Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome back to Paris. It is three minutes past 11pm. It is a balmy, humid evening in the French capital. We are back at Tennis Podcast Towers, basking in what was supposed to be the aftermath of the greatest match there has ever been, the most anticipated match of all time, sort of, maybe, except it wasn't. David Law? No, there was a set in which it was and uh, Matt and I passed each other in the corridor and we were pumped and it was one set all and it was just set up perfectly for another three sets like that and a crowning moment and about 10 minutes later it was basically all over and uh, terrible shame in the end. Um, Huge credit to Djokovic I think for playing a part in what happened but I really didn't see that coming at all. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it was a bummer. Yeah. And for anybody that chooses to persist with listening to, to this podcast after that, uh, we, will, we will do our best to, um, to remain pumped about, well, it's not going to be hard to be pumped about what's to come over the weekend, but certainly... As David says, it has been a bit of a bummer of the day. For anybody that's been sliding into our mentions saying, Catherine called it a couple of days ago when she said, what if it's crap? I I didn't call it a couple of days ago. That was me being utterly flippant and facetious. I did, however, Matt, and you can verify this, call it at lunchtime while we were gazing at our incredibly disappointing, borderline inedible politically incorrect meat that we were forcing forcing down in order to fuel ahead of what we just assumed was going to be a minimum five-hour match I said oh my goodness what if this is an omen for the day mm. and Matt said don't be silly don't be silly this is just a, a veal low point <laughs> yeah you said what if today is cursed as we were chewing on this very chewy veal and very dry because the sauce was horrific. Uh, yeah, gosh, I I saw no way that this match wouldn't live up to expectations, and those were lofty expectations. I just had such faith that this would be a good match. I I did what I always do when I come to the French Open, and I, I grabbed my copy of L'Equipe for the for the iconic day, and I put it in my rucksack. I thought I'll. Oh, I'll, I'll keep this. I'll this, look back on that in a few years. This will appreciate in value yeah. over the years. That copy is now in the recycling bin. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Where it belongs. Not an iconic day at all. There's lots of there's lots of interesting stuff to talk about nonetheless. Maybe even more interesting than if it had just been an incredible tennis match because we've seen both of them play incredible tennis matches plenty of times before six three five seven six one six one for Novak Djokovic to book a place in a thirty fourth Grand Slam final on Sunday. Should we should we tell this story in two parts? Should we deal with sets one and two first of all? Set one 
is as hard and aggressively as I've ever seen Novak Djokovic consistently, ball after ball, play tennis, David. It was, I mean, it's like he, he stepped on court with the game plan. I'm going to be Carlos Alcaraz so that Alcaraz can't. I'm going to get the first strike in so that he can't. I'm going to dominate the net so that he can't. And it was sublime. He was helped by Alcaraz. Well, this is this take is is with the benefit of hindsight, but not really feeling it. He was tight in that opening set. A lot of mistimed balls. He just wasn't quite at the races. He did have opportunities to get the break back uh, a couple of times, and was just there were very uncharacteristic errors on on almost all of the break points, but. The way that Novak Djokovic stamped his authority on that match in the opening set was breathtaking, I thought. He, he, he was more coherent and clear in his mind from the ball, first ball than Alcaraz was all the way through that. And, and he, he kept on making him turn around and hit shots when he started off going the other way. He kept on wrong-footing him and... He he just showed how what a clever guy he is. I mean, he came out and he just diffused Alcaraz. Really, I I thought um, he, he took the the initiative in rallies and got him on the move. And and he also, I mean, he you know, yes, he was hitting the ball very sweetly, but he was also sometimes just slow balling as well in the rallies too. And and I think that that was taking away. And we've seen a bit of that from Coco Golf when she tried it against Igor Fiontek, and we saw a, a bit of it. A, uh, a couple of nights ago as well you know there's been quite a bit of that um but he was just on it and and i was alarmed at how much Alcaraz was missing i mean he was missing all the time in that first set he was dumping things in the net and they're going long and he just didn't seem to have any rhythm you know i'm waiting for rhythm with the guy because once he's on his toes and he's going back and forth i'm expecting him to just explode into activity and yeah, Djokovic was putting him in horrible positions, totally clear in his game plan. Um, and, yeah, I mean, although Alcaraz had some break-back point chances, I think it would have been really lucky if he'd got back into that set. Mm. And honestly, when Novak Djokovic won that first set, what came to mind is just how good a record he has, particularly in Grand Slams, after winning the first set. It's so important for players to win the opener against him. I mean, Stan Wawrinka has beaten him from a set down three times. But the but, first set doesn't count with Stan Wawrinka, does it? He just sort of throws it away and then <laughs> says, OK, now, now we'll start. Right, and he's the, he's the only guy who's reliably been able to hit through Novak Djokovic over the best of five sets. Rafa Nadal has done it. Um, coming from a set down to beat Novak Djokovic and very randomly Jürgen Meltzer, the only guy to beat Novak Djokovic from two sets down. And that, but that was that was pre twenty eleven Djokovic. I, you know, not, it's very hard to read too much into that. So honestly, even after that first set, I was thinking, well, if I could if I could change my prediction now, I would, because Novak Djokovic in this position does not lose. You know, he's so so hard to beat him and the. And the authority that he had that you've both described over Alcaraz was not what I was expecting. I was expecting Alcaraz to be able to hurt Djokovic and Djokovic to respond to that. But it was it was the other way around. It was Djokovic hurting Alcaraz and Alcaraz was rushed and I thought he was making bad decisions. And it was, as, as, as David said, if Alcaraz had got in got back into that set and you know extended it it would have been a steal because Djokovic was really superior in that first set so if that's how you felt after set one desperately wishing you could change your prediction how did you feel after set two alive (laughs) (laughs) oh it was set two was thrilling exhilarating I mean it started with Carlos Alcaraz heading the shot of the tournament, the shot of the year, the shot of his life, uh, running back off a Novak Djokovic lob. And I thought he was going for a tweener. Right up until the last minute, I thought he was going for a tweener. And I think he suddenly realised, actually, I can, I can actually get round this ball. And literally at the last possible second, he sort of flicked it back with his forehand at such pace for a winner. And the crowd 
erupted. Alcaraz erupted. Djokovic was applauding as well. And that was the moment where I thought, okay, this might loosen Alcaraz up. He needs to be having fun to play his best tennis. And he was having zero fun in that first set. And then, you know, so if that was the best of Alcaraz, but later in the set, we then saw the absolute best of Novak Djokovic when he held serve from love 40 down. I mean, and, and, and the way he did it was with developments and evolutions in his game in the last few years. He did it with a, with a pinpoint serve to, as, a, as an ace to save one of them. He didn't used to hit his spot so well on serve so hard. And he served and volleyed on the others. These are all elements that he's added to his game. And I just found that fascinating. You know, the, how much he's able to rely on his experience and the way he's developed over the years. I just, I just thought was really interesting in that moment. But then Alcaraz did manage to eventually win the set with this, with this barrage of, of great shots towards the end of it. And honestly... I was probably still leaning Djokovic at that point just because of what I said about the first set. But I thought Alcaraz was suddenly starting to flow and I thought we were in for an absolute classic at that point. Yeah, I I don't think I've read a situation more inaccurately at the end of that set (laughs) in my whole career. Because, I mean, first of all, I, I found it... I found that exhilarating. The first, the first point, break point he saved at Love 40, actually, Djokovic, he'd, he'd hit three lines with one of his classic points of cross-court, down the line, cross-court, and Alcaraz is still getting to them, and he nearly managed to win the point, mm. which would have been miraculous. And then, you know, that, that was, and it, the fact that he still won the set, Alcaraz, I, th- I thought he'd broken the back of the match at that point. I thought, okay, he's 20, He's he's this crazy athlete who who I've never really seen run out of gas. I've seen I have seen him crap before, but I've never seen him like run out of gas. You know, he he won three five set matches at the U.S. Open, uh, and there were five hours plus those matches. Um, and I just thought at one set all, Djokovic had already had a medical timeout at three all. Uh, they were in that uh, set, and he walked off at the end of that set. And I just thought. I'm not sure he's going to be able to stay with Alcaraz. I don't think he will be. And the way the way Alcaraz was moving, I didn't see the signs at that point. <laughs> when Andy Roddick tweeted at the start of the third set, he's actually trying to shorten the points. I thought what was happening was Alcaraz has loosened up here and he's going for everything because he's so confident. And he was still moving well. And he was right and I was wrong. Because within two minutes, he's, Roddick's tweeting, I'm watching... Alcaraz really closely now because I think something's happening here. He he is he's taken his legs. That's the old quote from Roddick. First Djokovic takes your legs, then he takes your soul. And I actually flippantly replied, Well, these are different legs, basically, that Alcaraz <laughs> has got. Well that that aged two minutes um before uh, I looked like a complete fool. But but it was so shocking to look down and from my commentary box window I just started commentating on the set, on the third set and when when Roddick tweeted that I then had a, lo- a close look at, at a rally that Alcraz played and then I noticed him just take his hand off the racket with his right hand and start looking at his palm as though it didn't really belong to him and I'm thinking I don't think he can grip the racket properly because he's cramping in his hand and if you're cramping anywhere the likelihood is it's going to spread. Next point, he just stops like a statue, unable to move because of that cramp in his leg. And the match was basically over at that point. And it's, it was a horrible feeling of deflation, realizing it's over. And Djokovic came down. He, I think he genuinely was a bit sympathetic about the fact that this match is not going to happen anymore. Um, obviously happy to be winning. But, I mean, what a bummer. Again, I'll say it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we were so confident after that second set that we were in for the, for the long-haul epic that Matt left the, the prized press box seat that we'd arrived sort of 20, minute, uh, 20 minutes before the start of the match to secure, well, actually about 40 minutes before the start of the match because faff, <laughs> um, to secure. Matt left his seat to, secure, to, 
to restock on snacks, secure more snacks, refuel. He came back <laughs> at the at the moment that he he sat down with a coffee in hand for me. Thanks very much, Matt. But the the match does appear to be over <laughs> because because <laughs> is stood like a statue at, at the near end of the court as we were looking at it, not moving, seemingly unable to move. I was walking up the very many steps to the press seats on Chatrier and while and those seats are sorry those stairs are on the sort of outside of the stadium and you can see the big screen on the side of Suzanne Long then so I was watching the big screen as I was climbing the stairs you can't you can't see it in great details it's quite far away but I noticed that they're on the same side of the net Alcaraz and Djokovic I thought oh that's that's interesting I wonder what's happened there that's that seems like quite a nice moment. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna get into the stadium and I'll find out what's been going on. And oh, I was just shaking my head at yeah. you. Yeah, I think, oh, it's shit, shit, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it instantly, it instantly felt bad. I didn't instantly know what was going on, but you instantly felt the air get sucked out of. Philippe Chatrier Stadium and there wasn't a lot of air in there to begin with because it was a stuffy old day today and over the course of the next two sets during which I mean Alcaraz had already won a game at that point it was one all and actually the the moment that it happened meant that and the severity of how it happened meant that Alcaraz had no choice but to receive immediate treatment for the for the cramp a leg rub and you can't receive treatment for cramp unless it's a change of ends. So at that point, he had to concede a game to get to the change of ends. That game was a service game. Orally taught the umpire did announce all this to the crowd, but it was such a sort of moment of frenzy for everybody. Obviously, lots didn't hear. And then when Djokovic came out to serve, leading 2-1 after the, the medical timeout, there was all sorts of booing and jeering and hissing and um yeah they they were displeased with the scoreline that they found flashing up in front of them but from that point on Alcaraz only won one more game mm. one yeah. more game and honestly I was quite confused in the moment like that is a rule that I know about but it so rarely happens I don't, think, I don't remember seeing it actually happen. No, I genuinely don't know if I've, I've ever seen it come into effect. And, and it, it felt doubly harsh that it, was, that it was his serve that he ended up losing. I mean, as it happened, it wouldn't have made any difference. He was incapable of carrying on really competitively for the rest of the match. But in the moment, it felt like a sort of double jeopardy situation in, in football, like, you know, like Fulham at Old Trafford giving away a penalty and a red card all in the same moment. Oh, it's a disaster for Alcaraz. He's injured and he's lost his serve. But, of course, it, you know, it could have also fallen just before Novak Djokovic's serve. And that is, that is the rule. It's just odd that it so rarely comes into effect that I think everyone was, a, was quite confused. But I don't know. I think the severity of it made me realise this match is... This match is over. Like there really was, it was very quick how, how it went from on a huge high to this is over. There was no real in between. Oh, let's see if Alcaraz can, can sort of muddle through here and maybe, maybe tank a set but have some strength in the fourth. He it, it was just gone. Yeah, he had a, 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 a loo break at the end of the third set, which I, I think was just him being able to find enough to finish the match without retiring. Yeah. Um, and actually, the the cramping thing—I don't think unless you've been in that situation, you can know what it's like. Because I mean, I think we, you know we've all cramped at some point, whether you might have been sitting still for too long, or whatever. But to to try to do activity, you when you hear what the pros describe it as—I mean, Roddick—I'll go back to him again because he's he's experienced it, um, and he was saying on on Twitter that that he he's going to have to take it really easy for 20 minutes and try to sort of get through it, manage it. There's no way you can go full out. Otherwise, he'll be carried off this court. And, and I mean, you think back to Nadal cramping in that press conference when suddenly he's underneath the table because cramps struck him. Roddick once described 
getting cramp in a hotel lobby, having lost a match at the US Open. Then he was checking out, and he was in the line, and he said, suddenly it came over me, and I I had to lie down on the floor in the lobby and and be stretched out because I I couldn't move. And um, it must be just pretty sickening especially for a young lad like that who's who who doesn't necessarily know those limits to himself yeah well over the course of those two six one sets which wasn't a very long course as it turns out there was all sorts of speculation and murmurs on twitter and in the press box that we were sitting in you know what's going on here what's gone wrong you know did he not fuel properly before the match did he not see the weather forecast properly because it was hotter today it was hot yesterday as well but it was a lot hotter and more humid than two days ago when he played his last match. But then he won the US Open, which is the stickiest, most humid, disgusting slam there is. Spending several... longer on court than any person had ever spent on court to win exactly, a major. Exactly. So it's all sort of, what's going wrong? What has gone wrong it's here? Confusing. He's 20 years old and fit as a butcher's dog. And he told us in press afterwards, didn't he? The answer is Novak Djokovic. That was the most stressed and tense he has ever felt on a tennis court. That includes the Grand Slam final that he has played, and it was because of who his opponent was. And I found that fascinating. I mean, it makes sense. (laughs) But this is someone that's played a Grand Slam final as much as he's only just turned 20 this is not his first rodeo at all we think of him as somebody with experience far beyond his years and yet he'd never experienced anything like that before in terms of stress and I think it totally knocked him for six and it was full body cramps which okay maybe maybe in a maybe there were small things he could have done differently in terms of fueling and you know people were saying why isn't he eating bananas why isn't he drinking electrolytes we're we're big into electrolytes in this household aren't we we all drink our daily actually, rehydration salts I actually went to the carlos alcaraz press conference with a with a tube of electrolytes <laughs> uh, carlos, just, you want some to for Catherine, some for carlos just in case <laughs> um but I think the answer is maybe some of those things might have made it a tiny bit better. I don't know. But maybe this was just something he needed to go through. And maybe this this is yet another thing that highlights the incredible greatness of Novak Djokovic. Because uh, uh, worth remembering, he wasn't always like that as well, Djokovic, you know, 15 years ago. So I suppose it's a journey really, you know, to, to, to learning how to deal with it. He wasn't always like that. Yeah, I mean, he said that, didn't he? He said that he felt like he probably, at the start of his career, experienced similar to what Carlos Alcaraz felt today. Uh, and we so often talk about Novak Djokovic's aura, you know, and I think this that was kind of it in full effect today, but in a way that I've never really thought about. I've I've always thought about it in sort of pure tennis terms or mental terms. You know, those helping Novak Djokovic win a tiebreak is his reputation, as much, you know, partly. But just him and his experience and everything that he's achieved in the sport had a had a physical effect on his opponent today. I mean, that is extraordinary, and it made me think. You know, it's it's kind of no wonder that. Novak Djokovic has kept winning so many slams in late into his thirties. If 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 Carlos Alcaraz is experiencing that against him, you know what has Stefanos Tsitsipas felt? Yeah, what has Taylor Fritz felt? This is a guy with no felt? scar tissue, right? And he was paralysed by the aura of Novak Djokovic today in a Grand Slam over best of five set. He was paralysed by. Everything that we talk about, Andy Roddick's quote, first he takes your legs and then he takes your soul. You know, I don't know whether he's heard specifically that quote, but it's in the tennis atmosphere, isn't Mm, it? That is what he was breathing in and out for the last 48 hours, the anticipation of that experience and that being what was standing in his way of reaching a French Open final. Yeah. And, you know, 
it is on the flip side it's incredible how Djokovic has I think just become so good at managing five set tennis you know I know we've we talk about that all the time but how efficient he is his game is just efficient there's nothing I think that's what he came out trying to be because he knows he's not 20 anymore right and if he's going to last, he doesn't want to expend all that nervous energy that Alcaraz is expending. Mm. And Alcaraz was badgering away to Ferreira the whole first set. It yeah. all must be part of that. He was asked in, in the Spanish portion of his press conference, Alcaraz, what he was saying to Ferreira sort of in the third set. You know, was there any advice that you could get in terms of how you could maybe recover from this situation? And he just said, no, I told him that. Estaba jodido. I was fucked. (laughs) (laughs) And it it was this brutally honest press conference, you know. I think revealing that he felt like that about Novak Djokovic was honest and revealing that conversation he'd had with Ferrero. I mean, yeah, he he told us everything in that press conference, Carlos Mm. Alcaraz. And he also said, you know, I tried to be a positive person. I'm going to learn from this. And... I have to believe that he will, you know, because I don't quite know how you do that. I guess it's just getting himself in another situation to play Novak Djokovic over five sets is is the best way to do that. But I think I definitely overlooked Djokovic's mastery of this format. You know, Mary was trying to tell us (laughs) several times yesterday, and I'm fully aware of Novak Djokovic's Mastery of five set tennis. I just didn't realize how big of an impact it would have on Alcaraz. Yeah, same here. There was some very strange booing in the fourth set, wasn't there? They were they were booing Djokovic for fist pumping. They booed him for celebrating when he won. <laughs> um, look, um. we we love the penchant for aggro that the Parisian crowds have here, but, and by all means, boo, love the booing, but what they're choosing to boo at is <laughs> really re- bizarre have this a year. reason, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was trying to, we were discussing it, weren't we, Matt, how we've seen great players playing against injured opposition, falling into the energy vacuum tumbling down into it and not it, it all going flat on their side of the net included and Djokovic was trying to pump himself up and guard against that and use all of his experience to to prevent it from happening I didn't find it distasteful any of it and I'm surprised that the the French crowds did they for for a for crowds that are so into aggro, they can be very pearl clutchy about <laughs> things, can't they? Well, I mean, it's a bit like the the football crowds who just give players pelters, and then the moment the player does anything themselves and give it give it a bit back, they're outraged, you know. Mm. And I mean, and, and Djokovic wasn't even giving them any back. He was just like you say, he was he was doing nothing. He he did have. <laughs> An absolutely stone cold killer line in in the press conference, though, when he was asked about that, it was, you know, what was your reaction to the booing? How did you feel about it? And he said, "I don't mind. It's not the first time. It's probably not the last." And I thought that was going to be the end of his answer. He paused, and then he went, "I just keep winning." Yeah, that's the answer. I mean, <laughs> that's the answer to it. If ever there's been a line to sum up Novak Djokovic it's that right there Uh, everything going on around him a lot of it often he's causing it wasn't in this instance I agree but through it all the one constant is he just doesn't matter the the Federer fans giving him it in US Open and it doesn't matter at the time of that Djokovic press conference, we and he didn't know who we'd be facing in Sunday's final because at that point, Kasper Ruud was in the latter stages of the first set, I think, or looked en route to to winning the first set of match that he ended up winning in three. We'll talk about that in a moment. But <laughs> in short, Djokovic seemed pretty relaxed at the prospect of the final, no matter who the opposition 
would be my takeaway from from what he had to say about it. Yeah, he <laughs> he just feels so ready to win this, and I think he knows that. Uh, I think I think he saw today as a as a big big challenge, big test. I, I, I think it's worth saying. I don't think he was expecting this to happen to Carlos Alcaraz either. You know, I think. I think that probably would have taken him a little bit by surprise how how dramatically Alcaraz fell off there even though he knows he can he can lean on that experience in in these sorts of matches but yeah looking ahead to the final he was he was very frequently talking about getting his hands on the trophy it wasn't let's think about my next player it was I'm going to get my hands on that title I mean, could you imagine what Casper Ruud will have to do if he's going to take it off? Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello tennis podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Well, let's talk about Casper Ruud, shall we? Before we do that, shall I tell you about our partners throughout yes. Roland Garros 2023? They are, of course, on location, the premium hospitality and experience provider. provider. Thank you very much. I don't know why you you don't join in until the last... last you leave me hanging right until the last. It. I was drinking beer, to be fair. <laughs> right, okay. You're forgiven on this one occasion. <laughs> Uh, they, of course, are the official tour operator for the BNP Paribas Open at Indian Wells in March. Their packages via Steve Fogel's International Tennis Tours are now on sale for Indian Wells 2024. And in the words of Mary Carrillo, it is a no-brainer for you to go if you have the opportunity. If you'd like to go in style, experience one of the most spectacular settings in the world to watch professional tennis stay in four or five-star accommodation, great tickets to watch the tennis and access to a hospitality suite to relax in between matches. Just go to toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast. Tours, the number four tennis.com forward slash podcast. And go to the welcome to paradise section. Yeah. It doesn't sound the same when I say it because I say podcast. So, I've ruined it. <laughs> Look, if you want to go to Indian Wells, just do it. Yeah. Seize the day would be my advice. Casper Rude has seized the day. Sure See what has. you did there. Thank you very much. And how? Three straight sets against Alexander Zverev today. I need to stop being surprised by Casper Rude doing great things. I know I said that 
after he reached last year's French Open final, after he reached the US Open final, after he reached the ATP finals final, now I'm doing it again. I, it is a resolution to change my Casper Ruud ways. It is I not, promise you that. It is not often, though, Catherine, and I'm in exactly the same boat as you. It's not very often that you get somebody who has a breakout year the likes of which he's just had and then backs it up the next year unless they are one of the very best players of a generation. You know, you just don't... It just doesn't happen. You know, you, and I thought he was a player that didn't have enough in the game to keep on doing this. He's reached three of the last five Grand Slam finals. I mean, that is astonishing, really. Mm. And he's just got better and better and better throughout this tournament. I thought he was excellent against Holger Rune. And today, I mean, he just came out and just stamped his authority. To use the, the, the expression from the Djokovic match, it was similar in the way he just stood up to, to Zverev, who I thought would win that match. <laughs> it's going well, isn't it? <laughs> the old predictions. But Rude, Rude went for it. I mean, I, I don't think Zverev was 100% fit today. I think his movement was um, impeded. and, and What a, looked wrong with him? What, 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 so so what, what brought that to my attention was I, I commentated on the first set of it and about four games in, Zverev went back to the chair and he just motioned to the umpire for and, and outrushed the trainer and chopped off a big heavy strapping that was around his quad, around his upper thigh. And obviously it had been uncomfortable, so he took it off. But that did make me think, why is he wearing that? You know, what, why is he wearing that, first of all? I can't say for the next two sets that I really looked at him and thought he's lame. You know, he's not able to move properly at all. But I'm also aware that Kasparud was dominating him. So why is that? Is that just a lack of form? Is that Rude playing out of his mind? Well, I thought he played really great stuff, pretty much his top level. But I still didn't expect... Zverev to fall away like that. And then in the third set, he started to look like he's not actually moving properly. Now, it was six, love. I thought, I mean, there was one explanation is that I think maybe he's just gone mentally because he's not, he's not anywhere near on the scoreboard. But he just wasn't moving properly. So I think he was impeded. I still think Kasparud was the way he played, was going to win that match tonight. Um but then I put it to Zverev in the press conference, were you 100% fit tonight? And he, he hesitated for quite a while, didn't he, before answering that. And I think that was a pretty clear answer. And uh, the German press that followed have obviously picked up on, on your question to him and followed up on that. And Yannick Schneider reporting that he's got a strain in his thigh. He, he did it in practice yesterday and he's out of Stuttgart next week. Right. Um, but you know, I, th- I thought Zverev, well, in his own words, played a really bad match. You know, even with that injury, I mean, he, he, he couldn't make a smash. It was extraordinary. Yeah. And the number of missed smashes he kept dumping into the net, and Rude, by contrast, I thought was awesome. Just from the first moment, I feel like he knew he had the better forehand than Alexander Zverev, and he just was so intent on dominating with that shot and playing the sorts of rallies that he wanted on his terms. I thought it was really, really impressive. And yeah, it's it's genuinely a surprise to me that he has reached this this final because I've been judging him on his form this season. And then I sort of went back and had a look at his form at the start of last season as well. Almost identical to oh, this really? year he, he so last year he didn't play Australia this year he reached the second round in Australia not much difference there third round in Indian Wells both years Miami is the big difference I think Miami we had in our heads last year that he had reached that final before Roland Garros so we thought oh okay Casper Ruud playing well this year he went out early in Miami but then his clay court swing last year third round in Monte Carlo this year third round in Monte Carlo last year second round Madrid this year, second round Madrid. Last year, semi-finals Rome. This year, semi-finals Rome. And last year, he won a 250 in Geneva. This year, he won a 250 in Estoril. I mean, the clay court swing has been more or less identical. And I think we probably looked at 
this season that Casper has put together so far, and we were judging him, I think probably fairly, on the fact that he reached two Grand Slam finals the previous year. So it felt like our expectations of him were higher, and that that set of results isn't that great, really, for a player of his calibre. But once again, he's he's got to the French Open, and he's found his form, I think, as you said, the last two matches against Holger Rune and Alexander Zverev have been really, really impressed. I think he's playing so, so well. Do we have to put him in the Karen Hashanov slam specialist bracket? Am I going to have to factor him into my Wimbledon predictions? <laughs> What's going well, on? Well, he's, he's literally two ends. He's, a two, he's still a 250 <laughs> specialist, but he's now also a slam specialist. Oh, what a predictions nightmare. <laughs> no massive Wimbledon pedigree yet, though. So. It just, it, just to digress for a moment, Zverev was very dismissive of Wimbledon, wasn't he? He was asked, do mm. you feel now, I think it was Matt Futterman's question, you know, t- tonight aside, generally real tennis, do you feel like you're back to a place where you go into every slam thinking, yeah, I've got a shot at this? And he sort of started answering the question saying, yes, I do. And then he stuttered for a moment. He said, well, not Wimbledon because that's grass. And I kind of feel like, okay, it's your least favorite surface. But it's not like I cannot see a world in which he could ever win on grass. Like, it was a surprise to me that he's got in his head that much that that's not achievable for him. But anyway. Hmm. Yeah, I was surprised by that. I, mm. I, I saw him reach the Haller final mm. certainly once. I mean, I, I remember Federer absolutely took him apart in that in that final that I'm thinking of. I think he's reached the fourth round at Wimbledon. Like that's and, not that's not nothing. And, and grass does take players' time to figure yeah. out. Just because you don't like it right now, if you if you commit and have the right mindset to to learning and becoming comfortable, it's possible. It, but. I mean, I think big picture the problem for Zverev in slams remains the problem it's always been he he doesn't get good wins in slams Carlos Alcaraz at last year's French Open is the exception 13 losses against top 10 players and one win in slams for you know for a guy who's himself has been a consistent presence in the top five top 10 that's a shocking record he's the anti-Mukhova Mugova, yes. of course, who's never lost to a top three player. Mm. Um, we will have time tomorrow to preview that men's final, Djokovic against Rude. Let's take a moment now to preview that women's final. Mukova, the top three specialist, taking on the top one. Iga Svantec, who's going for Roland Garros title number three. She's never lost a Grand Slam final. What's going to give? Mukova's top three record or Svantec's Roland Garros record? I'm backing Mukova to turn up and to not freeze, which is a fact you always have to consider as a possibility when when a player reaches any Grand Slam final, particularly over the best three sets and particularly when they've never been there before. Um, but I think she is so talented and generally so loose with that talent that she will be all right. I'm I'm backing her. Um, And I'm backing her to win based on, in a way, because of Elena Rabakina's job that she did at Wimbledon, I think it might be similar. I think that um, Mukova is just going to, just going to produce, just grow into the match and then turn it around. And I, I, I don't know why I'm saying that, but I just, I just, I just think that's a possibility. I, I, I agree with the I first was, half I of wish I was bold as you. I have the same confidence that she'll show up. Yeah, I think it's going to be a match, and I definitely think it's a plausible scenario what you described that she wins. I really think she has a chance, but my sentence ends there, <laughs> Matt. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I think I think she'll show up. I think what we were saying yesterday about the way she sort of floats through matches, I think will be quite. A, I think will be quite a good 
attitude to have in a first Grand Slam final. I think she'll be able to block out the magnitude of it and, and, and play her game. But I'm backing Iga Sviantek to win. I think she's so good. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't really know what else to say. Um, she's, she always shows up in, in Grand Slam finals. She comes out fast. I'm expecting that again. Um, a little bit concerned about Mukova physically, just at the very end of that Sabalenka match, there was some concern. That was grueling. That was in the heat of the day. And tomorrow is going to be hot to, as right. well. So, yeah. the, I mean, so it's, always, it's always a worry with Mukova, but, oh, that, oh, is, but that is there. Um, I just, I can't back against the world number one, the person who's won two of these already. I'm going to go with Sviantek, but I agree. I think I think Mukova makes it a match. I think it'll be by far Sviantek's closest. Certainly, French Open final. Jabur made that U.S. Open second set extremely close. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Mukova nicks a set. I'm still desperate to see Igor Sviantek in a three-set Grand Slam final. Desperate. Well, you know, three sets anywhere. I'll take it. Um, but I just want to see what it looks like. Yeah, yeah, it would be would be really interesting to see, um, and I think the fact that she handled her dad Maya yesterday the way she did and that would help her. I think yeah, if she I did so end up in a third set tomorrow, the tennis gods let us down today, didn't they? So they owe us one over the weekend. In fact, I think they owe us several. One for lunch, and uh, <laughs> cannot one for stress the match. enough how bad lunch was. So terrible. I almost skipped dinner just because of the trauma. They gave us weather. Over the two weeks, generally. Mm. Oh. Oh, I'm not... The weather's been... I'm not writing off the whole incredible. fortnight because of one <laughs> bad veal. <laughs> it was really bad. Uh, what is coming up tomorrow besides the women's singles final? We start on Chatre at 11 with the men's wheelchair singles final. Great to see this match on Chatrier. I hope a decent crowd turns out for it. It's the top two seeds going up against one another. Alfie Hewitt, the top seed against the Japanese Takito Oda. Who's very young. The second seed. Mm. I, I believe that. And actually, Hewitt, I know, avenged his loss to, was it Gustav Fernandez in the previous yes. round? Um, and uh, And... I think he played this this young man earlier this year in Australia. Um and so yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Mm. I think that's the that's the sort of real-time legacy of Shingo Kanido, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Lots I think there's quite a few young Japanese wheelchair players. Yeah, there it does feel like generally in wheelchair tennis there's the next wa- the next wave are, are happening, aren't they? Mm. Sam Schroeder, Niels Vink of Niels on Wheels fame. Uh, then it is at 3pm local time, Svantec against Mukova, followed by the men's doubles final, Ivan Dodig and Austin Krychek against the Dutch, no, Belgian pairing of Sander Gilles and Jan Vliegen. So that is the final match of the day on Chatrier tomorrow. On Longlen, it is women's legends, Gisela Dulko, Gabriela Sabatini, against Lindsay Davenport and Agnieszka Radovanska. Well, that sounds uh, good. Andre Medvedev's in action over there, Matt, if you want to have a reunion. <laughs> uh, Kim Kleisters and Cedric Pierlene playing mixed doubles together. Okay. And Natalie Deshi and Sebastian Grosjean. The girls' final is on Court Simon Mathieu tomorrow, and it is Alina Korneva, the third seed from Russia, why do I know that name, Matt? She won the Australian Open. That's beating, why I know that name. Beating Mira Andreeva in the final. Ah, oh, that's interesting, isn't it? Very good. So we'll be seeing Korneva break through and play matches against Coco Goff at Senior Grand Slams Before in no time, I'm it. sure. Uh, she takes on the sixth seed tomorrow in the girls' final. Luciana Perez Alarcon. What do we know about Luciana? From Peru. Mm. I feel like Peru's had quite a good tournament with... with uh, Juan Pablo Varillas. Indeed, exactly. Sure, yeah. Wasn't <laughs> expecting him to come up today, but 
but great. Um, and then it is the boys' singles final, which, alas, Darwin Blanche is not featuring in, Matt. Oh, what happened? He lost. Ran out of gas. <laughs> he lost. He lost. He lost today to the finalist from Serbia, I think this Croatia. flag is. Croatia. Oh, my goodness. I'm so sorry. Dino Prismic. I like that name. Uh, he is doing some quick maths here. Da, 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 da. Uh, turning 18 in August, by my reckoning. Uh, so a bit, a bit of an older age bracket than than Darwin Blanche. Oh, he's yeah, he's been he's been playing up a couple of age brackets. How old's Darwin? 15. Oh, right. Mm. And he takes on in the boys' final the eight seed Juan Carlos Predo Angelo. These are good names. Mm. From Bolivia. Yeah, great South American representation mm. in these finals. It's great to see. Uh, then on Simone Mathieu, the girls' doubles final, we have... Oh, Kornaeva's in that as well. Crikey. Uh, with Saito, her Japanese partner. And then we have Grant and Ngunu, who is a name that I know. I think she's very good. American, I think. I'm not as good at the juniors as Matt is. I just, I ride on his coattails. Over on court 14 is where you'll find the women's wheelchair singles final. Dida de Chut against Huey Kamiji. That is the number one seed against the number two. We also have the quad wheelchair singles final, which is the aforementioned Niels Vink against Sam Schroeder. That is, again, the top two seeds facing off. Uh, We also have on court 14 the men's wheelchair doubles final. Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reed against Gustav Fernandez, as you mentioned uh, before, David lost to Alfie Hewitt in the singles, and his Spanish partner, Martin de la Puente. Are we happy with all those pronunciations? Sounded yep. good to me. I'll move on. Uh, we have the boys' doubles final over there with some names and flags I'm not going to get into, but if, you, if you'd like to know more about that, you can look it up. We have the quad wheelchair doubles final, which features Andy Lapthorne and his South African partner, Donald Rampardi. And they're unseeded, actually. They're taking on Heath Davidson of Australia and R. Shaw, Robert Shaw of Canada. Robert Shaw, it's a new name on me. Same name as an actor who is in uh, Jaws. I it's not a shout-out, David. Well, Robert Shaw has not paid for a shout-out. It just came to me. <laughs> uh, finally, this is, this is ending soon, folks. Finally, court 13 <laughs> is the place. Last match of the day for the women's wheelchair doubles final, which is Yui Kamiji, the top seeds, Yui Kamiji and Kugotsa. Oh, I'm going to need some help here. Gothatso Montiagne. Sounds. I hope I've got that right, and apologies if I haven't. Taking on Didi de Chut, which I've definitely got right. <laughs> In fact, you look for opportunities to say it. <laughs> and Maria Florencia Moreno, her Argentinian partner. So that's what you've got tomorrow on the penultimate day of Roland Garros 2023 action. We'll be back tomorrow, of course. We'll be back with our mascot, Phoebe. Lovely Phoebe, whose work Mary Carrillo is very much aware of, which I was very pleased to hear. We have our mascots, our last chance of respectability with Xenia. Sorry, Xenia, Maisie. Right, Maisie, I've come for Mukova in three. <laughs> and Darwin. Yes, hello, Darwin. Sorry, I, I underrated Casper Rude again <laughs> and thought he would lose a set. We have Billie Jean, who really, really provided... Con- well, actually, it was my mum providing the content, but, it, <laughs> but Billie Jean was starring in it uh, during our post-Alcaraz Djokovic low. Mm. Um, we were soothed by some lovely Billie Jean Rosie videos. Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our executive producers and top folks, Jamie, Hannah and Drew. Hello to you all. And thank you for being executive producers of the Tennis Podcast. And we have shout-outs, Matt. We have Elizabeth in Brisbane. Oh, Elizabeth. Just Elizabeth, like Prince. Yes. Well, actually, um, Elizabeth P. Oh. 
Okay, like J.P. Vareas, but the other way around. <laughs> Elizabeth P. Okay, could be Price. It like, could be a celebrity. Are there any celebrities? Elizabeth, surname beginning with P. No. Okay. What do we? What else do we know about Elizabeth, Matt? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon. I reckon this is some major celebrity. Me too. Talk amongst yourselves while I put Elizabeth P into Google and see what the autocomplete suggests. Okay. Uh, see, I was going price because remember there's... Uh... Perkins? Okay. <laughs> I was going to go with S.L. Price, the uh, the Sports Illustrated Elizabeth writer. Perkins is the love interest in the film Big. It's got to be her, hasn't it? I hope so. She's definitely fantastic her. fantastic in that film. And then she kind of disappeared. Yeah. Tom Hanks, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Incredible. That is one of, that's in my top five all, all-time films. Good acting, If you Elizabeth. are Elizabeth Perkins, <laughs> thank you for your work. You played a big part in my childhood. <laughs> if you're not Elizabeth Perkins, thank you anyway. You're even better. Well. <laughs> I say so. Thank you, Elizabeth. <laughs> We've also got Elaine Hayworth. All right, Elaine. Hello, Ooh. Elaine. Elaine is Irish but living in Chelmsford in Essex. Like Rita Hayworth. Haywood? Hayworth. (laughs) Who's Elaine? (laughs) Elaine Hayworth. Worth. Like Rita Hayworth, yes. Okay. Who's that? Famous actress. Oh. From the 40s, 50s. Okay. Do we have any Elaines as tennis players? I can't think of any. It's a bit disappointing, isn't my, it? My childhood friend Grace, her mum is called Elaine. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm open we to other desperate. offers. <laughs> nope. nope. Elaine Parry it is. Thank you, Elaine. <laughs> oh, Hayworth. I think I might have one. It's tenuous, but Elaine Page is a massive tennis fan. She is. I heard her sing a chorus of memory at the... Uh, the Lawn Tennis Writers Association Christmas lunch raffle. Yeah. Once. Wow. Memorable. Quite right. Yeah. Elaine, thank you for being a friend of the pod. Thanks, Elaine. <laughs> and finally. Elaine Hayworth, not Elaine Page. Maybe <laughs> Elaine Page is also. Fr- anyway, go on. We've got Matthias Stop. Right, Matthias. In Stockholm. Hello, Matthias. Which I think sets you up to tell your. Maybe I've got this wrong. Your brother's exchange story? <laughs> yeah, my brother. <laughs> my brother's ex- German exchange was called Matthias. And he was weird. Oh, God, <laughs> this is going great, isn't it? He used to... This was in the days that we had one family computer and it was a big clunky PC and it sat in a sort of communal area in... Um, in kind of in the hallway, really. And he... <laughs> Despite it being in a very public place, he would spend the evenings on a flight simulator game doing <laughs> doing sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I remember about Matthias. <laughs> oh, I'm sh- look, childhood is a weird time. I'm sure he's grown up into a fine young man and he, well he'd young be probably be pilot. about 40 now <laughs> and even if he hasn't Amateus is fantastic Matthias Matthias like I said <laughs> he's awesome thank you Matthias pop stop 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 probably what we should do <laughs> let's probably, do yeah. that Matthias thank you for pointing us in that direction thank you all for supporting the tennis podcast helping us be here in Paris Bringing you news of a bummer of a day. (laughs) But it's going to be a cracking weekend, folks. So hope to have your company when we speak to you tomorrow. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. 
That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 